0: Ralph Moss. I've known Dr. Ralph Moss for over a decade now, and it's such a pleasure to know Dr. Moss and his history as it relates to his research, writings, films on all things cancer treatments, whether it's integrative, complementary, alternative cancer treatments from all over the world. In my mind, Dr. Moss is the world authority on that topic. He's gone to many clinics around the world to determine what what are the best cures for, for cancer. Since 1974, he has written over 12 books and three films about cancer, sharing the best practices in the prevention and treatment of cancer, as well as a real critical look at cancer drugs and other industry practices. My conversation with Dr. Ralph Moss, let's go. I've mentioned earlier in our conversations, yeah, in the '70s when I went to Mexico, I said, "Wait a minute, I didn't know that." I didn't know that you began your travel expeditions yes. looking at cancer clinics sure. in the '70s. I thought that was in like way later in the '90s.
1: No, no, so I started tell me
0: about that. You've mm-hmm. been to Germany, you know, many clinics in Mexico, yeah. What? Why? Did you need a good write-off to travel the world? I mean, why? What was what was your impetus to look? uh, You know, investigate all these clinics.
1: Well, curiosity Mm -hmm. and a desire to see whether there were. You know, because we live in a one one culture, one locale, and I believed that there were other possibilities. I counted it up once. I made 18 separate trips to Germany to look at clinics, just to Germany. So I wow. was going home every year. So I got in, I got invited. Yes, I had gone to, to many different places. And then I spent the most of the 90s. Uh, my work was, aside from actually having a day job at that time uh, in Manhattan as a senior medical editor, but I also was going down to NIH. Four to six times a year, as part of Office of Alternative Medicine mm-hmm. Advisory Panel, and then another panel that I was on. So that the '90s were largely taken up with uh, with my government affiliated work, associated work, and that in 2000s was well, starting in about '96. I started to go. I was invited to come to Germany by Hans Nieper. Uh, because I had written a book called Questioning Chemotherapy, and that was uh, translated into German, mm. and they invited me to come speak at the German uh, at the Medicine Week uh, in Baden-Baden, the German Society of Oncology, the DGO. And so I went there, and I gave a I gave a speech, and then that then they made me the following year. I guess they made me an honorary member of the German Oncology Society. So I was going a lot of times. I'd go to Baden-Baden in late October for the DGO meeting and the medicine week meeting. And then I'd rent a car and I'd drive to the different clinics of the different people who were part of the DGO. So one, so I'd go to, uh, to one or another of those that I was invited to come to these different clinics. And then I became sort of a routine thing that I'd go and I'd tour I'd make a a, a loop, and it, some of them would be clinics I'd been to before, and some of them would be new ones that I was sort of adding to the repertoire. Mm. So after a while, I had I was hitting like you know, twelve or fifteen different clinics, and I'd always try to add some new ones in. But this and are these
0: a, all integrative clinics, for lack of a better mm, word. In other yeah. words, they're doing things that are much different than what we're doing here yeah. in the U.S.
1: Some, so most of them were yes, integrative clinics which has a higher standing in germany than in any other country other than china i would say mexico is a separate story which we could talk about but
0: the I'm german
1: sure. <laughs> german is better integrate truly integrative and integrated into more into the medical system although the same divisions exist all over the world to a certain extent uh, in the sense that but uh, germany has an indigenous folk medicine component, an uh, herbal medicine, especially component. And it's though,
0: integrated into their medical system?
1: Uh, to a great degree. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a pharmacy in Germany, it's a shocking experience because you think you've walked, you by mistake, walk into a health food store.
0: Ah, right.
1: But there, and then there are herbal, there are health food stores in Germany too, mm-hmm. and herbalists. But but what they push, what, what comes f- forward are er, is herbalism, s- small degree na- um, and, uh, homeopathy, not right. as much as you would think. Homeopathy is very big in France, where naturopathy is not so big, and vice versa, even right. though na- uh, homeopathy also originated in Germany. Correct. But it isn't that huge. But the pharmacist is likely to recommend something natural. To mm-hmm. you first, before mm-hmm. going on to the medicinal, you know, pharmac- pharmacological thing. So there's a different orientation, big orientation towards whole foods, towards whole bread, mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. you know, whole grains. A very different culture in many many ways, and it and and more like what we're heading, we've been heading to culturally, I would say, at least in the middle class in the United States. So it was interesting, and you go from t- from place to place. So the common. So let's say put it this way: there are some highly specialized Bach clinicians that are like very specialized in one particular thing, and that might be one technique for of immunology or thymic therapy or one thing. But usually, there's a core program to the complementary clinics, and that. If you wanted to summarize it in a couple of words, it would be mistletoe and hypothermia. Mm-hmm. Those would be the two treatments that were sort of universal, almost universal, within the German clinics. So what is that? That's a kind of mostly immunotherapy. It's a kind mm-hmm. of early primitive immunotherapy because the mistletoe treatment is over a hundred years. We know that the druids in that area, especially in the area of Switzerland, where, the um, mistletoe was more or less formulated originally as a cancer mm-hmm. treatment. That's been going on for 2,000 years. We have Ro- Roman texts that talk about how the Druids um, harvested the mistletoe for various medicinal mm-hmm. purposes, how mm-hmm. they used a, like a golden knife. I mean, even today, you wouldn't use like a, 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 an iron Implement on the mistletoe because that would interfere with the lectins in the mistletoe. But they just empirically interesting mistletoe m- need to, do to that. us,
0: of course, is associated yeah. with Christmas yes. time and correct. And, and it's kissing. there's medicinal and yes, kissing properties the, there for yeah, magical
1: And this came out of the Rudolf Steiner movement anthroposophical has a lot of schools
0: develop a lot of schools right absolutely
1: so (laughs) so there's this and then uh so i would go around to these clinics you mentioned before you continue you
0: mentioned hyperthermia Mm. yeah what happened to hyperthermia as a viable option in the united states because it is used in all over the world as a, a as a very good right so it seems like any extreme temperature can kill cancer cells which is you know, you did cryo, you could do hyperthermia. It, it never caught on here as a FDA approved right. treatment.
1: Right. It actually is FDA approved for a couple of indications because of the positive clinical trials done entirely in Europe. But the problem with hyperthermia, there were numerous problems, but one of them was that the manufacturer of the equipment in the United States the business model was to not only charge a lot of money for the machines, but also uh, the maintenance contract on these complicated machines was very, very high, and not everybody could uh, undertake these costs. Secondly, yeah. you need a trained technician to run the machinery. You can't just – a doctor can't run it in their own office. It's a big complicated machine. So only a big organization like Cancer Treatment Centers of America and University of California, San Francisco, they, you know, Chris Diedrich in San Francisco is a wonderful guy and he's PhD physicist, like a physicist, like a like a radiologist would be in a in a radiation department. And Mm. most of these this is in the radiation department at UCSF. But you have the thing that the FDA will only well only acknowledges it for the a few kinds of cancer. Got it. Whereas it's much more whereas if you have a freer medical system, then doctors, medical doctors can have this equipment in their office and they can use the either the whole body uh, hyperthermia or the local regional, which is which would be like oncotherm. And that's very exportable, very doable in poor countries of the world whereas the american model was very expensive and eventually the company went out of business and there's many problems the other thing is like when i went to the the one meeting of the society for thermal medicine which is sort of the conventional side of the hypothermia field there was um let's just say at that moment when i was there bitter Infighting within the field. I guess, you know, mm. success has many parents and failure is an orphan. So <laughs> because it wasn't thriving yeah. financially, there was like, you know, a lot of infighting and backbiting and so forth. And I even got up and made a little speech to them to tell them as an out- complete you know, an outsider to their organization that they'd better get it together because they're get they, act together because well, yeah, they were undermining their own future and nothing is basically nothing has come of it and so it's a foreign for the american audience you know a foreign yeah I many of my
0: patients have gone overseas to so the martinique
1: clinic in uh-huh. germany is that am i pronouncing it correctly i don't know the one. mart
0: there's a um i thought that you were the one that introduced me to that group that does uh-huh. in a beautiful place in germany uh-huh. beautiful martin i say martin i'm thinking martini i'm not i don't well, uh-huh. so anyway, they, a beautiful place in Germany. Anyway, yeah. they've gone. A lot of my patients have gone there, Canada, and other places to get hyperthermia. Yeah, yeah. and there actually, um, in academy. some cases with more advanced prostate cancer, we we're kind of looking at it as a conjunction to or adjuvant therapy with things like radiation and so forth. Well, um, it has uh, a role. completely it, experimental.
1: I mean, we know that it works in some kinds of cancer. Sure. So we sure. know that it works in sarcoma how do I say we know because, because Ralph Issels at University of Munich yeah. and, uh, and, uh, Kobe van Der Zee in, in, uh, in Holland led large teams of people over a long period of time in randomized controlled trials to show that hyperther- addition of hyperthermia heat therapy improved the outcome in sarcoma and cervical cancer and pancreatic cancer. So if you had the money, And the resources you could probably prove this for most kinds of cancer. So it is a, but it's another one of these lost opportunities. I I think so. By the way, Coley's treatment was a fever therapy. Hypothermia is a quote unquote fever therapy. The reason hypothermia even exists, Mm -hmm. and again, Aristotle wise, we go back to the beginnings of things. This is this is sauna therapy. This is this is actually hot water bathing that originated in the in god knows when 1920s at least in, yeah. in Germany in switzerland um, so this concept of heat of killing things with heat is an old concept cryo is just another thermal therapy another That's way right. of manipulating temperature which by the way th- a cryotherapy was demonstrated effective the first time in england at the crystal palace exhibition in 18 in the 1850s charles darwin that. W- saw that Charles Dickens was there Queen Victoria I don't even know that, I, even know that. <laughs> I wonder if
0: Dr. Tanasia knows that did you tell that to Dr. Tanasia
1: We only talk about pr- prostate glands Oh no, no no <laughs> no we need to have a, a, a nice Yeah I mean this is
0: more, this when is, is interesting at- Before we continue let's give a little love to today's sponsor Our next sponsor partner has a product I use literally every day I'm talking about AG1 you know, I've been using green powders mixed in drinks for a long time, and <laughs> it, ha- it has not always been a great experience, right? The powder clumps up a little bit. It tastes horrible, but you know what? You chug it anyway because it's good for you. AG1 changed the game. With- in AG1, you have 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day the right way. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, and energy to help you recover and focus and help you age successfully. To make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo again that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. geo to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance
1: when you look back at these things you know you find that many great ideas were came you know did were not accepted in their day i mean darwin was but many other you know great things had to wait a century or more to be finally developed Amazing. and uh, cryo was mexico. in mexico
0: so, so, Mexico, the and the reason why Mexico yeah. is because it's it's where everybody goes, um, yes. or at least a lot of people go to. And, it, and yeah. the first thing that comes to mind, is, and they're asking me, should I go to Mexico? So, there are how many clinics in Mexico? You visited probably most of them, if not well, all of them.
1: Yeah. What's I, I'd the say story there? The 20 to 25, I would say. It varies, of course. They come and go. Some of them were shut down in around 2000 by the government. So, mm. this the difference between Germany and Mexico is that the Mexican clinics were set up on the border with the United States, like other services in Tijuana. They were things that were not accepted or wanted or, or legal even in the US that were pushed over the border into the border towns, especially yeah. Tijuana. And I would say from my experience, oh, most of the people, i don't I, maybe it's overwhelming, are foreigners coming into Mexico for treatment at these particular clinics. You will find some non-conventional treatments, what we would call non-conventional in Mexico itself, in other parts of Mexico. So every country has its herbal traditions and background, of course. But what we identify as the cancer clinics is overwhelmingly, in my experience, Americans or Europeans or Australians coming to that place, as a, a mecca for what they can't get at home. Yep. And, and essentially, it was Hoxie. The first clinic set up in Tijuana was the Hoxie Clinic because Hoxie was outlawed and, uh, in the uh, Harry Hoxie as a quack in the United States. And Mildred Nelson, his nurse, went and set up this shop. And at least the last time I visited, there wasn't even a sign on the door To indicate what it was, it was real. It still probably still is very underground feeling, and people were getting these herbal tonics and these uh, uh, escarotic pastes and so forth. So Mm. that was their origin. That's where the idea came that you could set up a cancer clinic in Mexico and get away with it, which you couldn't get away with in the United States. And then came the lay the wave of well, Gerson. And uh, Gerson diet, they've uh, usually there's been a presence there, and still is, yep. I think. And then the Leotrol clinics. Initially, there were three of them, and then from that came many other imitators and many other things. And they were all were very variations, but the 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 core of it usually was Leotrol or some proprietary treatment that no one had ever heard of, but you could you could make a claim for and make a scientific. A theory, adhere to a theory but not the the difference is in germany there are german clinics where you will find alternative clinics you will find no foreigners or very few foreigners and there's probably twice as many scattered around in germany and a different the majority of german doctors i mean by once by one survey 52 percent of German doctors either practice some form of complementary medicine I agree, yeah. or refer their patients to people who practice yeah. complementary. That's the majority. But yeah. Mexico, it's a little a little island of, of alternativeness, if there's such a word, in uh, otherwise undistinguished um, situation. Plus, the German medical schools are world famous. I mean, of course, they they more or less destroyed them themselves in in the in the, in the Nazi era and the World War sure. II, but they still have a heritage and a certain rigor to their university system that's very even very impressive even today. Whereas in Mexico, most of the people staffing those Mexican clinics came out of the Autonomous University of Baja California, which by standards objective standards is one of the lowest ranked, even in Mexico. I see. So you get some very, you have historically some people, very undertrained people, medically speaking. And the doctors in the Mexican clinics, the ones I've seen, many of them, just report to a, uh, a, a boss, typically, traditionally a, a gringo, an American yeah. uh, person, and I saw horrendous things happen in the Mexican clinics. Like for instance, dot medical doctors with the with these same credentials that I was talking about reporting to an ex-refrigerator salesman for how to give a particular clinic. Luckily, I mean, mm. I saw people being being given injections of, of insulin that put them in life-threatening danger. Mm. And and the doctor's reporting to this refrigerator salesman to find out what to do. Um, luckily, uh, that without my intervention, I'm, I, I'm sorry to say, uh, the Federale police came in within that same week that I was visiting and shut the clinic down. And it stayed shut down. But I, but many more things of that nature went on in Mexico. Not so much anymore. And right. So actually, I was going to say, this day and you know, age,
0: it sounds like they do a Decent job, yeah. In shutting down the clinics that are not doing yes, the I right think things. so. Yes, so I think that's Is it true. is it safe to say? All right,
1: and then have, I'm gonna oh, have to I'm gonna have to go in uh, in a couple of minutes. I we, have we, we wrap, up, yeah, we're yeah. certainly
0: wrapping it up. We is, is it safe to say, patient, advanced cancer of any kind, prostate mm-hmm. cancer. Yeah, they can indeed go to Mexico and find. Uh, And and we know this is not, you know, with advanced cancer of any kind, you manage it, there's no cure, but you can potentially manage it for a long time and stay alive. Is it safe to say that perhaps there are some clinics there? You mentioned Oasis earlier. Are there like a handful of clinics that one can A, be safe (laughs) and B, uh, uh, get a a good treatment? In Mexico? Yeah.
1: Well, I wish that I could say that, but in the, in the years of, you know, almost 50 years that I've been following them, virtually no research has come out of that entire community. I predicted this is what would happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I did a, I did one of the few scientific papers on the phenomenon of the Mexican cancer clinics. Uh, it was in integrative cancer therapies. And uh, other than Gar Hildenbrand and Christine Hildenbrand's study on the Gerson diet and a couple of other things they don't keep records they don't do serious follow-up result was res- work on the results uh, nothing like some of the german we have some data for the cleef cleef clinic for instance and some of the other clinics so i don't i can't say that yeah. because i don't have the data on which to be able to make Just that claim. That. i think so you're so in a way you're you're in unknown territory gotcha. um i could say some of them seem the methods seem much more reasonable and within scientific boundaries than others and some of them make ridicu- have made ridiculously overblown claims for certain treatments and if you've done that in the past repeatedly i don't care what you're doing now but you know i don't trust i don't trust that person anymore yeah, I've seen patients you, with
0: advanced prostate cancer go, come back, and their situation is actually much worse. Uh, and they pro- can
1: lie to you yeah. and tell you. And I've seen, you know, if if you name it, I've seen it. And and so it's definitely shaken my faith. Whereas with the German clinics, it's it is somewhat different story. Because as I say, when you're reporting, when you're treating your own native population, you're reporting to your own medical societies and yeah. so on, there's a higher degree of responsibility. And in the Mexican clinics, they, they because they're treating foreigners, there's a tendency to look the other way. And they do bring in a lot of money to the Tijuana economy. So I would say I wouldn't rush off to the Mexican clinics. I would look twice and three times before I would leap and go down to any one of them.
0: Lovely, lovely. Ralph, um What a pleasure. Um, We're going to have – this is amazing. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. How can people find you or your work? Um, Is Second Opinion a documentary Um, still around?
1: Yes, it's around. Um, If you go to the Moss Report in the singular, uh, there's 1,300 articles that I've written, and all my Moss reports on different types of cancer, including prostate cancer, are now – uploaded to that great. site great
0: and people and can you, sign up and subscribe to the moss report they can absolutely Just go there so and take a look. all things moss report to find all of dr moss 50 years worth of work correct great ralph thanks so much so appreciate Deal? it
1: and i great appreciate states. you and we'll be in touch thank you we'll be in touch see you much soon much love take care
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with. Associated with.